In this week's episode of Along the Keel, I sit down with Trevor Heath, one of the founders of Watchtower, a software originally developed to help lifeguards better manage their areas of operation. However, it has since turned into an all-in-one safety platform acting as a digital command center for first responders. And it was Trevor and his friends who are all lifeguards, paramedics, and first responders that really got together and created this incredible platform that is being used by first responders around the country. Trevor and I go into details behind the platform, some of the stories that they've earned, and of course, how it all came together. That and more on this week's episode of Along the Keel. But first, please go and support the show by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that you know. Thank you and enjoy the show. So Watchtower is really a unique company. It's a unique brand where Mm -hmm. what you guys are doing is, you know, taking the idea of resource management and applying it to uh, the coastline, right? And applying it to Mm -hmm. mostly lifeguards, but also branching out into a bunch of other things. But Mm -hmm. before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, because there's a lot to talk about there, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Trevor, like, how did you even get to where you are meeting, meeting your co-founders and being like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not really a first responder, but I, I have a skill set that I think I can apply to this and yeah. really help these guys out. Like, where did that, where did that conversation even start? Yeah, kind of an origin story. So, um, so I was doing software for five, six years. I, I started in sales a long time ago. Like my life before software was business. I was a business major. I, was always interested in software, but it wasn't what I was trained um, Mm -hmm. traditionally in. Uh, And through college, I actually, uh, my wife now, uh, my girlfriend at the time, her best friend was uh, Trevor, the other co-founder, Trevor. That's a bit confusing, I know. But like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, (laughs) for reference, the the division chief of Huntington Beach, his, his girlfriend, they were best friends and they're nurses. So like, I am basically in this like, in the middle of a bunch of like really phenomenal people that like save lives and help people like nurses, firefighters, Mm -hmm. lifeguards, software. Like, so (laughs) I've just kind of been in that. Um, honestly, as a, as a, uh, early student, I was like, man, if this doesn't work out, like firefighting is something I was always interested in. Like I always Mm -hmm. thought that would be a route I could go. Um, why is that? That's that's a, that's a noble profession, right? So yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that would be in the back of your mind? Um, I think just because of growing up in, in San Diego and, you know, every few years we had these like catastrophes, just awful, uh, wildfires that, you know, I'm from like when I was in middle school. And then when I was in high school, we had those two huge fire, like breakout seasons where basically burned Mm. down a bunch of people's houses. I like remembered that. I remember like missing school and like not being able to go outside and seeing the fire on the hill across from my house. And like, I don't Mm. know, it just stuck with me. And I was always like so impressed by how our, our society could like fight something like that and actually like protect a lot of people and a lot of uh, structures. And I just thought that was so cool. So like, it was a bit of a, you know, looking up and being like, man, these guys are so cool. I want to do that. And a little less of actually knowing what they do and how hard their job is. So like, I'm sure once I got into 
training and like learning about it, I'd be like, oh, this is a little hard because I've, I've definitely heard stories about like the work that you have to do to actually get there. And now I yeah. look back and I'm like, man, maybe I'll just stay behind my computer and, you know, help them by <laughs> building software. But yeah, that sure. was kind of, that was kind of the reason for that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, my, my friend of mine, a good friend of mine, Butch, he's a fireman, um, getting my captain's license. I took a STCW course, which is basically life-saving mm-hmm. on the water, um, and survival, if you mm-hmm. if you ask me what the acronym stands for nowadays, I would I would butcher it 100. Yeah. percent Um, but no safety safety at life. Ah, I'm not even gonna try. Yeah, um, there's a lot of acronyms. There's so many acronyms field. these days. So yeah. many. I'm like Ugh. so many. And you know, it was we did the, there was this one module and it was firefighting and mm-hmm. um it gave me a profound respect for the guys mm-hmm. who were on shore fighting fires, you know, just getting mm-hmm. that close, feeling the heat, being in your, all your bunker gear, boots soaked in water. And here you are, you know, crawling through a, a you know, a mock burned building. But I'm thinking like, what yeah. if this building had nails sticking up, like fire all around you and you oh, can't see God. anything because they black out your, um, yeah. your, your mask and you're just holding yeah. on to the guy in front of you. And you're like, I hope I don't, get stabbed by a nail or something falls overhead and it's like man these guys really i mean that's a that's a tough profession it's it's a tough profession so major respect to those guys but you you kind of took your tools so if you growing up were you always someone that was interested in entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. like was it was that something down in like in your family that someone did or yeah i actually come from a So my, my dad was an engineer, so I have that mm-hmm. side. He was a uh, uh, worked in aerospace. He didn't quite, he wasn't uh, working on the, um, the aircraft and the shuttles, but he was working on, he was a packaging engineer. So he would like get these huge pieces and get them to fit into these crazy packages that they could ship across the country, huge mm-hmm. packages. So that's what he was. And uh, I, he's a very engineering mindset type person. So I learned a lot from him in that. And I have a lot of his qualities, but then my mom is full on female entrepreneur, like go get them, started her own business, had, you know, uh, basically an all women team and they just crushed it. And I always looked up to her and loved that. Yeah. So badass. And she came from another country when she was 17 and did. Oh, really? Yeah. So, uh, she's Persian. So we're, I'm actually half and she's from Iran and she came here during the uh, revolution and when she was 17 and then by the time she was 30 had started her own insurance brokerage and grew it wow and recently retired so i would love you mom uh congrats yeah on that. no i mean but, those um, stories like they give me like i got goosebumps right now because yeah. you, you listen to people that are just kind of whining complaining about where they're at and then yep. you see someone you hear who, that yeah you hear that you're like probably like how old was she when she came over like eight, 17, like 17, 17, 17. Yeah. Yeah. 17 Crazy. probably didn't have a lot and yep. created her own insurance brokerage. And she was Persian. Yeah. She came over here into the United States, totally foreign country at a time where, you know, there was a lot of things going on in the U S and then she does yep. that. And, and she's a woman yeah. like, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, so that's incredible. Badass. Love that. Yep. So, I mean, you definitely had a good base for, yeah. you know, someone yeah. that to be able to look up to. So taking yep. some of the qualities and moving it into what you have now, I mean, what do you think some of the biggest qualities that you got from just hanging out with your mom? 
Yeah. Um, it was like, cause as a kid, I always remembered she'd, she'd work so hard and like, sometimes that, that would bug me. And I know like my sister who's younger than me would always be like, man, like you, you work too late. Like we'd, we'd always like hound her for that. But now looking mm -hmm. back, I'm like, she, she truly loved what she did and she was building something. And, you know, when you're a kid, you don't realize that that fire you have to like mm -hmm. build something that not only benefits your family now, but like for generations. And like, honestly, I'm very lucky because the work she did has benefited me into my adult life. And now she's, she's comfortable. She's able to retire. She's able to help me with my kid. Like so many things that like mm -hmm. you take for granted and she put in that work and she was, you know, such a fiery entrepreneur that she was able to get to a point now where, you know, we, we appreciate the time she has and she, you know, is making up for all that, all that work lost time that she might've had when we were younger and she was working her butt off. But like, now I look at that and I'm like, that's kind of where I got that entrepreneurship spirit is like, you realize you fall in love with a problem. You want to solve it. You want to like, improve something like I don't I don't really look at the dollars and say you know I want to grow this huge business and make a lot of money like I think with a software skill set that's very doable in this day and age there's mm -hmm. so many opportunities but for me it's always been more about like finding a problem that I fell in love with and that like really needs to be solved and improved on and like attacking it and I think that kind of comes mm -hmm. from her you know like she she hers is a little different because she's her backstory and like really it was more about surviving and like building a building a family and taking care of her family but like for me i'm lucky i have those base needs met my wife's a nurse which is the best i'll tell you having a nurse wife is the <laughs> best occupation for an entrepreneur because it's like the most steady possible job and then there's me with yeah. like the craziness of entrepreneurship it's just a great you know dichotomy but like yeah, I just now I kind of take that energy she had looked at that. And I, I kind of fell in love with the idea of chasing something that I believed in. And, you know, that's where that's why I left my, my normal job for another company to work with mm -hmm. Trev and David and the other guys on my team um, on this project. So like, that's kind of where yeah. that comes from, I think. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I can relate to that. I mean, you know, my mom has certainly been a huge influence in, in building just hard work ethic, but, you mm -hmm. know, looking at my dad who maybe, you know, like you said, kind of, there was some lost time, you know, as, as a younger mm -hmm. guy. And, um, now you kind of look back and you're like, Oh, well, this is where I get my work ethic. Like, this is where I'm willing to put in the extra hours at, at you know, 11, 12, 1am mm -hmm. to then reap the reward, you know, five, 10, 15 years down the road. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, in those first early days of getting Watchtower up and, and running, had you done anything prior to Watchtower? Like, was this the first leap into, into something yeah. or were you kind of primed with something else prior? Yeah. I have, I have many failures, uh, under my belt. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so like I said, I started in sales and I did that for a few years and I did pretty well and I somewhat enjoyed it, but I didn't really feel the fire of like, I, I think the side, my dad comes from the engineering side, that like building side, I, I needed that with the sales and entrepreneurship side. So mm -hmm. after that sales experience, I actually joined a startup, um, and it's funny, the timing just didn't match up. But that original, original startup was 
uh, video interviewing and not oh, in the no sense way. of so like, not in the sense of Zoom and kind of except for it was mainly for so it was like pre-recorded video interviews. You would like put together a script of questions and you could get like a thousand people to record themselves answering those questions for a job interview. So you don't even have to mm. eat. So it's almost like instead of an application, it was like the ability to interview someone um, pre-recorded. So like you send out kind of like a like a, a job posting and they, they film it and you get back like a thousand applicants that all answered your questions in an order and you can watch through them and rate them and all that. I, I worked on that project first, right out of, I joined a team, we got some funding, we started working on that. I was not very technical at the time. I kind of learned in that, in that process, I started to learn a little bit about it. That project unfortunately mm -hmm. failed, but it came about three years before COVID. And I still, to this day, feel like if we would have done that closer to COVID, we probably would have done very well because it's a very, it, right. it solved a problem obviously in that, in that time, but that's for, oh that's God, the whole yeah. timing is everything. After that, I yeah. did a few other projects. I, uh, uh, one pretty big win was I was one of the lead engineers on, and this was after learning and learning YouTube and classes and lessons and just like building stuff and breaking things. But then I got to the point where I was proficient enough. I was one of the engineers on a small team to build for a company called Hirecar. And Hirecar has since gone public. It's had a lot of success. One of my good friends is uh, was the founder of that company. He's moved on to other things. He's an investor in our company now. So like, you know, all oh, these cool. little relationships build up. But that company did um, car sharing for rideshare drivers. It's kind of hard to think through that. But basically, uh, if you've heard of Turo um, mm -hmm. or similar, basically you can rent the car in your driveway out, but instead of renting it for recreation to a tourist or someone, you can rent it to an Uber driver. So oh, the, the value in that was that an Uber driver will literally rent your car for months and months and months in a row. There was, right. there was rentals that would go six months to a year long on that platform. So like, wow it was a really good return for the people who had those cars. So we built that platform and went from like basically garage to public. And I was a part of that team for those few years, but that, that project went crazy. Then after that, just worked with an agency and uh, we did a lot of like startup stuff. So I was always building stuff for other people's startups, which mm -hmm. is a great thing because like I learned a lot. I learned what it took to build a successful product and like, where you should be really focused and when you should just be like, okay, we're not big enough yet to focus on this. And just like the ins and outs of like bootstrapping and being scrappy and like trying to figure things out. Figuring it out. Yeah. Exactly. And, and then I got to the point, I'm like, man, Trev and David came to me and they were like, Hey, we got this problem. And I was like, I I'm ready to, I'm ready to take something on myself. And that's kind of when Watchtower had originated was like all of that work. Um, and you know, building of my software muscles and my startup muscles to like, finally be like, yeah, this problem means a lot. Like it's really fun. It's exciting. The people that came to me with the problem are experts. And that was mm -hmm. kind of the culmination and kind of where it, it got to. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting to kind of look back at a career or different projects you've worked on. Cause I've, I've had, you know, 
many different failures along the way yeah. and to finally kind of hit a little bit on one and be like, all right, well, let's just keep going here. Right. And see what, yep. see what happens. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like I, I like how you use the analogy of, of muscles, right? Because I'm, I'm a gym mm-hmm. goer and, and I've been a gym goer for a long time. And, you know, to be able to say, all right, well, you got to put in a lot of work in the beginning. And then at some point mm-hmm. you start to maintain and then you, you get stronger and stronger over, over time. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing applies to, I think, anyone in a career where you get proficient at your craft, right? And your craft mm-hmm. being like software development, startups, business, entrepreneurship. I got to imagine that the initial days of Watchtower were, you know, you, Trevor, the rest of the guys coming together, and you're just kind of inundated with all these these lifesavers. Let's just call them blanket statement, right? Yeah. And you're like, all right, you're listening in to all these problems they're having, like the issues yeah. that are coming. You're like, oh, maybe I can start something there. And then yep. did you present the idea to them? Like, how did this all kind of come to, to yeah. fruition? Yeah, so, so I always tried to take the approach that I didn't want to work on software or start software projects where I wasn't an expert in, I tried to avoid Mm -hmm. that because you tend to build, you know, when you're head down building something, if you don't truly know the problem, you're going to just kind of tangent off and you're going to just build features you think are useful. And most likely you're not going to hit, hit the point you're going to probably miss. Mm -hmm. So in this case, they came to me and they pretty much, they had a conversation from the story I've heard. They had a conversation sitting, standing in a tower on a hot day in Huntington And we're like, man, these paper forms that we fill out to keep track of, you know, medical aids and rescues and prevents and stingrays and all these really important data and statistics, like these paper forms take forever. They're wasting paper. They don't get filled out properly. And they pretty much came to me and said, hey, we are really bad at data. We don't know (laughs) what we do. It would take them two months, three months to even know what happened for a weekend in July. Like, as you could wow. imagine, imagine you're an e-commerce company and you don't know how often people are clicking your checkout or add to cart button until three months down the road. Like, how do you, how do you improve? You how do you, you can't plan for anything. So that's, that's pretty much the way that government softwares, first responder softwares work at this point. A lot of them are super antiquated. They are just behind the time, slow, and they're not user friendly. Mm-hmm. And and in this case, there wasn't any software. It was literally paper. And they would give the paper stacks. They have stacks of paper. Honolulu has an entire um, uh, container, shipping container filled with these papers that they fill out. <laughs> and they basically take these papers, hand them to a secretary, or in Honolulu's case, a team of like 10, and they Mm -hmm. manually put them into the computer a month or two or three or six months down the road. So they came to me with that That problem. And I'm like, man, that is really bad. And I've built things that are way simpler to, to solve than that. Like, if we can, if we can get these first responders to think and change and learn at the rate that an e-commerce company does Mm -hmm. and the way an e-commerce company can learn they can be like oh let's change the button color let's change the text and they can run these little tests to see what converts better like Mm -hmm. the most important job in the world one of them is first response life-saving like they should be able to 
act in that similar way so they can figure out what works and doesn't work. And I have a, some cool examples we can talk about, about like how we've kind of gotten to that point now with Watchtower yeah. and uh, started to have some case studies and stories where they've been able to make changes in hours or days that they wouldn't have known in months. So that's right, kind of right. the no, origin. I'm, I'm sure you got a ton of cool stories, but I think yeah. even for like a listener's sake, what so when you when you explain watchtower like you bump into someone in the elevator and they're yep. like what do you do right yep like what is that what is that 30 second hey you yeah. know i i've developed a software for first responders doing xyz like what does that sound like yeah so the way we explain it is we're a digital command center for first responders specifically in this case we're a digital command center for marine safety i hope my baby my baby's making a lot of noise out there with the do you gotta go get them so i'm sorry for that no 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 she's That's a babysitter right. she's just want to make sure you didn't hear her screaming um, oh, good so basically we're a digital command center for marine safety agencies um and what that means is there are different types of problems when it comes to software that an agency might encounter. And we try mm -hmm. to provide them a one-stop solution for that. So they are not fragmented with a bunch of one-off-the-shelf stuff. So um, specifically, some of those things include um, incident reporting and analytics. That's like keeping track of every call for service that they may encounter the mm -hmm. details of that call, and then being able to quickly analyze it in a way that's data science level, but in a matter of minutes. So that could be looking at how many rescues have we had every Saturday for the last year? Or how mm. many, when do we tend to get more stingrays? What level of weather is most common for stingray incidents? And pretty much that stuff, it can be done in a few clicks. Um, that's wow. the first part. That's incident reporting. Next is dispatching. Um, dispatching is kind of a big one because, you know, you have fire and, and police and sheriff and EMS and all these agencies that have dispatch, really powerful dispatching tools. A lot of them are mm -hmm. antiquated. However, there's never really been a dispatching tool for um, smaller, more um, basically agencies that can't afford those huge Motorola level dispatching platforms. Right. Basically yeah, we're talking a like small town beaches and exactly stuff like that. beaches, yep. parks, like uh, state parks, uh, all different types of smaller organizations. So we have a very lightweight dispatching tool that lets them keep track of resources. Where's the truck going? How long mm -hmm. is it there? When did it get on scene? All the basic stuff. Um, and then we have a few other modules that are pretty cool, um, including stuff for internal communication to help you keep your team aligned on the mission of the day, um, as well as important correspondence, because before that was a complete mess for a lot of these agencies, like text message or email, or like some of them would use like telestaff or something to try and do that. And it just never was a good option. No one ever read the messages. Their communication mm -hmm. was really bad. So like we kind of built tools around that. And then lastly, kind of the final thing would be public communication, which is our kind of our way of being really different. And we can take all the data that we're accumulating in our platform and make it available to the public in real time. So Safe Beach mm. Day, for example, is a site that is kind of a public facing site that attaches to the Watchtower platform. And mm -hmm. you can go there and get up to date, real time information 
uh, about stingrays in a specific beach or, uh, you know, risk information that's put out directly by the first responder. They can tell you, you know, um, there's heightened rip currents today or there's, you know, over double overhead waves, be careful, like all these different things, they can make it available and you can actually subscribe for real time alerts on that system. And the goal Mm -hmm. there is that there's never been a software and first response that has really focused on community risk reduction and public communication. And we've made a decision. The two things that differ us is analytics that are like fast, easy, and real time. And then an emphasis on also making the data available to the public so that you can improve community risk reduction and you can Mm -hmm. improve the public communication so that people actually know what's going on, what they should be aware of, like what they should avoid. So a lot of people go on that, that site, um, especially in Southern California where stingrays are a big deal and they can get real time info on like where, which towers are having uh, extra activity. And honestly, it's pretty cool because you'll see the, the indicators move up and down the beach as if like you're watching the stingrays uh, Mm. migrate up and down the shore. It's pretty cool. So, so basically all that accumulates into like a really modern digital command center for, for first response. And uh, we're starting to foray into um, some other industries. Marine safety has been our focus and it's really Mm -hmm. our main, main focus right now. However, we have, you know, we work with state and local parks. Um, We want to get into more national parks and other similar um, operations, as well as fire. We're working on fire departments and other other, uh, industries as well. Interesting. So, you know, it's, it's cool to hear that it's just, it's all encompassing, right? And you kind of have, you know, a a B2B version, if you will, and then almost like a B2B b2c version right and Mm -hmm. i think being able to integrate that in and cross pollinate is is definitely keeping you guys unique right and and being able to say okay well we have a forward-facing asset that pushes out to you know the the end consumer which at the end of the day is the the beach goer right i mean Mm -hmm. if we really draw the map down that's who's who's really benefiting from going to the beach and knowing like, well, yep. I know the lifeguards know where all the stingrays are, so they're not going to put me over in the, in the bad spot or the rip car and, and so on and so forth. But I gotta, I gotta imagine, you know, and maybe this is a blanket, a blanket statement, but mm-hmm. you know, based on conversations that I've had with you and, and other conversations with, you know, fellow first responders, um, you know, there's a lot of older folks in, in those positions, right? Um, there's, there seems to be a lack of a younger generation and I think it's mm-hmm. improving. You know, I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I definitely in the maritime industry, we've seen a vast reduction of people coming up or as mm-hmm. we say, coming up the hawser. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, my guess is it's probably similar in your industry and there's probably going to have to be some sort of, you know, convincing that needs to be done with all these agencies right because if they're going from something that's super super antiquated and you know not for nothing but the iphone if we use that as a baseline came out like almost i don't know 15 years ago now yeah like yeah we could have been caught up by now a long time ago you know so as you've created this tech what are some of the issues that you find when you're trying to be like all right well how do we how do we grow this thing how do we get this into the hands of our our life-saving community that's the golden question for us, honestly. Like, I come from 
the more of the B2B. Technically, we'd be like B2G, I guess. I don't even know if that's a thing, but business to B2G. government, which is, <laughs> which is like, even it's harder. So different. <laughs> it's even harder because you're right. A lot, a lot of, as you know, a lot of the management um, structures are very much about, you know, service time. So you have a lot of people making decisions that have been there a really long time. They kind of like to keep it status quo. They don't want to rock the boat too much. Um, and we definitely have had those problems. So like, for example, when we first started, we almost failed in the first like six months of like research and development because we were trying to find like a way to get our software tested. And mm-hmm. Huntington Beach was kind of our home base because that's one of our founders, like, you know, both of our founders had work there. So it was like a natural choice. But the chief at the time was, you know, he was getting towards retirement and like he was a a wonderful chief, but like he's going to be a little adverse to like change, especially when he's leaving, because you don't want to cause any disruption in that. So we really struggled to even get Huntington, who was like our flagship to get on board. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, it's like it's that's been a difficult thing. And that it's agency to agency. Some agencies you have, you know young, fiery, ready to, you know, make improvement chiefs. Some of you have even older ones that have been around and they're actually still super interested in improving and making it better. And then you have some that are more traditional and want to keep status quo and not rock the boat too much. So like mm-hmm. at Huntington, once the retirement of the the past chief happened, the, uh, a new one came um, and he was a wonderful addition to like, uh, the team. And he, he basically was like, I'm ready. Let's try this thing. Like he really wanted to kind of get Marine safety a little closer to how fire operated and fire had software. I'll say it's old and not great, but Marine safety was still pencil and paper. Many of the times, most of them are pencil paper. So we're actually competing with that. It's crazy. And he came in and he's like, this isn't acceptable. So he looked at us and is like, okay, you have an affordable, unique, like up and coming software. He took a chance on us and he was like, let's do this. And uh, our first versions were like basically stitched together forms with like a uh, uh, behind the scenes Excel document, like super simple oh, stuff. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, but it was like a way to test. And uh, we got a lot of good feedback from that, which then got us to be able to build what we have now. But yeah, it's been honestly, I would say the the operational change that it takes for an agency to switch to watchtower is a, is a decent amount. Like you have to train your team. You have to really think strategically about how the data gets input to the platform. Because like, for Mm -hmm. example, one beach will do some beaches are like lifeguards have phones and like you have two guards in a tower and one of them can input the information and the other one can be watching the water. Then you have other beaches where it's like the unit operators or like the truck supervisors will come by and input the data in a tablet that's in their truck. And then you have Mm -hmm. other ones that are like only dispatch. So there's a person in the headquarters that gets every radio Mm -hmm. call input. So like there's a lot of like nuance to how they implement. So as you can imagine, the, the um, initial like hesitancy to change all of that, including bringing on a new software, but also changing all of that operationally is quite high. And that's definitely where we've had the most, that's, that's probably where we've had the most struggle is just in trying to navigate how to grow and how to, Mm -hmm. you know, sell that, you know, 
it's worth taking the chance on us. Like we're going to, we're going to improve your operation. And pretty much to this point, anyone who's gone through a beta and has fully implemented us has never left. Like it's a Mm -hmm. short period, but like we haven't had a single angry customer or agency. They always are really excited. And as soon as they get that flow moving and like they get used to it, it it, it works and they're really happy with the results. So like we've been really yeah. lucky on that. However, getting them in the door is definitely really, really tricky, really difficult. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, you know, to take, for example, even, I mean, oh, shit, it's, it's hard to get people to change what they, what, you know, Anything. what they eat in the morning. Right. I mean, yeah. you wake up and yeah. I don't know about you, but I have, you know, four whole eggs, a cup of coffee, two pieces of toast, maybe some bacon, and and yogurt and i eat that every single day like there's no like i'll go like i went out to eat with my uh, with my cousin this morning and i got the same thing (laughs) i'm going out to eat right so it's harder for people to even you know or maybe it's maybe it's just me i don't know but breaking habits are hard you know so to come in and be like all right we're gonna we're gonna change this up and it's gonna be good i mean that's a hard that's a hard sell but you guys seem to have get you know gotten traction and i gotta imagine there's some really cool stories behind you know some of the agencies or even maybe like a life-saving story that oh yeah that exists that you're like all right guys well hey you know huntington beach did this and this is what resulted in it you know town of narragansett like let's let's kick it into gear i mean i don't know if the town of narragansett uses anything but i just because it's right down the street from me but um like what, what's some of the case studies that have come along or, or cool and inter- interesting stories that you guys have come across? Yeah. One I'd love to share because Huntington gives us permission to kind of share these and, you know, they have some really cool ones at the scale they're at. Um, they have two really cool ones that I've always thought were awesome. So one of them um, has to do with stingrays and basically last summer, they were tracking stingrays and I was doing a little analysis for them looking at the data. And I was like, Hey guys, have you noticed that like um, probably 90% of your stingrays in the last three weeks have been in North side of the pier at Huntington. And if you know, Huntington beach, there's a pier in the middle and then it's a humongous beach that goes both ways from the pier. If you go North, it gets a little bit more, um, it gets, it gets into uh, sunset and the geography changes a little bit. South side mm-hmm. is very flat. It's like just okay. flat, long sand. And then north side, it has a little more geography. You have like some coves and stuff. So basically all the stingrays for a period of time were north side. And they don't really notice that day to day because they're just like head down working. You know, the people attending to those stingray incidents are tower guards, they're not going to make the connection of like, oh, well, why are all these other towers next to me also having them? Like they don't, they don't really communicate enough to be able to like make that determination. Like they just know that they're having a lot of stingrays, you know, they don't know Mm -hmm. if tower 15 on the complete opposite side of the beach is also having stingrays. Um, Most of the time they probably don't even know who the person is in that tower for that day. So, so when you look at the data from a high level, you're able to start to see those trends and you could see them quickly. So I was able Mm. to tell them and within a day of me telling, they were able to add additional resources as well as move a lot of their stingray equipment to that part of the beach. And their Mm. responses were phenomenally better because they were able to tell like, Hey, we don't, 
we don't need additional equipment and resources down here because it's been so heavy up on the north side. And um, their response times to those and like their service went up dramatically. They were even able to add um, additional people to that area to just mm-hmm. handle stingrays. And you wouldn't think stingrays would be that crazy, but for example, Huntington on a horrible day has had over 200 stingray incidents Holy in one crap. day. 200. Now, what is like what does that incident look like? So I'm I'm a little Ooh. unfamiliar with yeah. stingray incidents because we just don't have them. Here you guys, in, you guys have a little more jellyfish, but it's still not jellyfish. Anywhere yeah, close. yeah, right. So I can actually talk from experience because I have been stung by a stingray. I feel like if you're a Southern California beachgoer, you either have been stung or you know someone that's been stung. Mine yeah. happened in San Diego, but pretty much. Uh, a lot of kids actually, because we can look at age range of like who has been oh, stung also. Yeah. Um, at least this year they started collecting that. A lot of like you get a lot of teenage, a lot of preteen kids because they're the ones that are willing to go out, be in the sand, their time in the water is like really high because they're playing and stuff. And mm-hmm. that's where stingrays want to be, right? In the sand. So you'll step on it. Um, next thing you'll know is you'll feel you'll feel the sliminess under your foot. That's what I felt, and I'm talking from my experience. You'll mm-hmm. feel the sliminess. You'll feel it slide out, and then you'll right after that you'll feel a jab in usually like the top or your ankle, top of your foot or your ankle, mm-hmm. and um, pretty much right away you're like, oh, what was that? And then pretty quickly you start to feel that sting, and it hurts really bad. And a lot of times they'll come they come limping out of the water like a zombie. Like and you're dragging like, oh, their foot, know. <laughs> and they know the lifeguard knows they got to go attend to them. A lot of times, it's a it's very painful. So you, as you can imagine, for a 12 or 13 year old, like that's not a fun oh, experience. Yeah, I think I was 16 or 17 when it happened to me. And yeah. then um, they attend to them and just make sure that it's not like um, a special case where you know it stung them a certain way or whatever. I'm not a medical professional, so I don't really know all of the the. Uh, different possibilities there but Mm -hmm. they have these uh stingray bags which are basically bags that hold water and keep the water would really hot like warm because the Mm -hmm. uh to to uh take care of this the sting and it it is poisonous so once to get the poison to dissipate you use really warm water and you put your foot in it so they have Mm -hmm. these like bags that they hand out to people to be able to help them get through the pain and, you know, get the poison to dissipate. So you'll just see people sitting in the, on the beach with their foot in a with bag bags around their feet. Yeah. So they have to attend to those and just make sure that it's not like a case that they need to do anything more than that, but mm-hmm. it's not a fun experience. And if you think of the beach as a business in a way, if you have all your beachgoers coming and getting stung by stingrays and then not attending to that or preventing that, People will say, I'm not going to Huntington Beach anymore. I'm going to go to this other place or I'm going to, you know, not go to the beach. So it's important. It's not just a Mm -hmm. health thing. It's also an economics thing for them. And there's always that balance because the beach is the center of commerce for places like that. So that is an important factor. It's not the number one. Obviously, you want everyone to be safe and healthy, but it is important. So that's why getting this data and acting on it and improving health safety aspects outcomes is really critical Mm -hmm. but then also improving you know you know uh satisfaction with the experience is also important so both of those things are at play yeah so i gotta imagine like you know some of these things as you continue to grow and expand Mm -hmm. um 
I'm just thinking of like certain scenarios, right? So like one scenario would be someone, you know, gets, let's say there's a shark bite, right? And they need to get transported to the hospital. Now, if Huntington yep. Beach lifeguards are using Watchtower and Huntington Fire Department are using Watchtower, by having one software with multiple agencies, I got to imagine that kind of, you know, uh, quickens the process and, and helps distribute data a lot faster so that when they get to the hospital, they know what's going on. Is that, yeah. is that kind of the vision for Watchtower to really That's, be integrated throughout an entire town or city municipality? Absolutely. Like we, we follow a lot of the more modern soft software practices and I won't get into the details of it cause it can be quite boring, <laughs> but basically interoperability and like talking softwares that talk to each other easily um, is an approach that just wasn't around 10 to 20 years ago. Like it was, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, it wasn't important. Uh, it was kind of a accessory to what they had. So a lot of the systems that current teams use take a lot of work to interoperate and like talk to each other. Ours is pretty right. much seamless. So right now we're actually, we have explored the idea of connecting beaches that are neighboring. We haven't, um, it would be actually very easy for us to do. It just hasn't become a need yet. But like, for example, you have Huntington and then we have Seal Beach and they're right next to each other and they bump up against each other. Well, technically Sunset is in between and that Huntington Beach manages Sunset Beach, but they bump mm -hmm. up and sometimes there's calls in, on the boundary that they both respond to. So right. like in that case, we're in a great position to help them talk and like keep track of documentation and notes on a single call and know who was on it. Um, yeah. if we can get into the city and like help the fire department, we can also improve that as well. Um, however, we haven't really had the opportunity yet just because fire is a, a doozy. It's a much bigger task for us to take on. We're, we're working on how we're going to try to enter that where we have a lot of, uh, research going on, on how we can do that. But yes, like having agencies be able to talk to each other really clearly and easily and seamlessly is really important. And right now that's, that somewhat is lacking in, in the software space for first responders. I will say one yeah. thing that we do do that's not in the, uh, um, active duty, like when you're actually responding, but there's a, uh, association, the USLA, which is like the life-saving association for all lifeguards. Mm -hmm. And they have data standards that they keep and they want to make sure that every agency is collecting information so that they can look at it and like, you know, help guide the industry on best practice and stuff. And for a long time, them getting their end of year reports and data was really, really tricky and really tough. And a lot of agencies just wouldn't do it because who yeah. wants to take this huge stack of papers and get it. So one place where we have really seamlessly integrated is, Every agency that's on Watchtower, we automatically will share that end of year report with USLA. So in the whole, we're really helping the industry have a much more unified data set and like a lot more, um, a lot easier experience when it comes to like looking at the industry as a whole and finding gaps and doing like analysis to try to figure out how to improve life-saving. And we've been like mm. really pushing for that as well. So it's not just on the like micro, like day-to-day -day integrations where like software talks, but it's also on like the higher level, like analysis side, because for me, data is really going to be the key to prevention and prevention is going to reduce the need for the day-to-day, -day, you know, uh, 
response because if you can prevent, you're never having that issue in the first place. And I think in fire right. in general, community risk reduction, which is a form of pre prevention, has become really, really important and really um, highlighted. And I think data is where we're going to do that. And that's why that part of the seamless integrations is really important too. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, as I listened to this, you know, your story and how it got started and watched how our words going and how it integrates municipalities and, you know, you really are changing the way uh, first responders are, are able to save lives. Like if we boil it all the way down, um, this is a very important project and business and, and, and venture that you've gone into, mm -hmm. but you know, you didn't, you didn't start as a lifeguard, right? You're a software guy, you know, and mm -hmm. it, it's, it's cool to see that you've gotten really passionate about the data for people being able to go out and, and transport someone to the hospital and save a life or prevent an injury. Yeah. And, and like, you know, you just mentioned prevention is key. You know, I got to imagine that kind of, that comes with some stress too, right? Because if, if all of a sudden the software breaks down, and someone's yeah. on the beach using it, like you're like, oh, well, the, the buck stops with Trevor, right? Yeah. So, you know, I guess as you've gone through this process of building Watchtower, like you as a person, what do you think you've grown from? And, you know, you're also a dad too, right? Like mm -hmm. when you think of, you mentioned kids are, are one of the most, you know, prime targets for, for stingrays, right? Young teenagers. Like, man, there's, there's, there's some heavy stuff that can get, we can get real deep real quick, but as you being kind of the head honcho here, I mean, how does that make you feel like that you're yeah. going out and you're truly making a difference in the community? And by the way, no one even knows it. You know what I mean? Like if you're the end, if yeah. you're going to the beach, the likelihood of you knowing that watchtower exists and then it's is actually the, yeah. the, 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 the platform that helps save you or help prevented the pain of the stingray sting um, is slim. And that's in no way to say that people wouldn't know, find out about watchtower, but like, I have no idea what the fire truck where, where the guy brings his fire truck to get worked on, you know, or, yep. or any of that yep. stuff. But those are the people, those unsung heroes that are really making a difference. So, I mean, I guess that's a long way of saying like, how does that make you feel a part of this bigger community? Yeah, it's, Honestly, it's probably what drives me to like continue on the project because I will say there's been, you know, especially the the grueling cycle of getting agencies on board and you kind of hit the nail on the head like it's tough. And also the the stress that comes with having to build a software that's stable and performant and like, you know, to this day, knock on wood, we've had pretty much a a software standard is like 99.99%. And if you pay a ton of money to some big companies, you might get an extra couple nines on that, but mm -hmm. that's very unlikely. And we've pretty much been on, you know, the high level, like standard, like uh, we've been 9999 since we started and it's been really good. We've had a few outages, but we also thought about that in the way we train and the way we implement, like they they can still operate effectively, at least marine safety. If we get into fire, obviously there's changes, but you'd be surprised. Like there's a lot of dispatching and a lot of like really longstanding softwares that go down. It happens. Mm. Um, that's oh, the yeah. thing with first responders. They are 
they're going to figure out how to do it. They're going to figure out how to save the life. They're going to figure out how to get there. But there's definitely stress that comes with that. Um, I think just reminding myself of like the change that we're driving in an industry that I think it people forget how important it is. It becomes almost like an afterthought. Like, oh yeah, they're there. Mm-hmm. Until you're d- drowning and they're pulling you out. Like, that's one thing we ask every new person to join our team is like, have you ever been rescued? Because I think mm-hmm. that experience really brings you uh, kind of a, it gets you closer to like what they do and really helps you appreciate um, them and their, the training, the grueling training and the long hours and, you know, the hot sun mm-hmm. that they're putting the, themselves under to like make sure you're safe. And I just remember that all the time. And I just like, I get to interact with a lot of them. So it's great when like we, Kauai is one of our clients and I just always remember going there and onboarding them and them going. What a horrible business trip that must be. Just, oh, it was horrible. (laughs) It was so bad. But they were just like jumping (laughs) with joy and clapping at like certain things that our software does. And it's like, when you see that and you know that their job is so critical and what they do, like it's it's uh it's really cool so like i just remember that and i kind of live vicariously through their you know their uh experiences and stories and i hear a lot of them so that always just pushes me pushes me on and reminds me why i do it so honestly i love it and i want to continue to do it. i want to impact more people like the mission of our company is to help first responders save lives like that is the mission of Mm -hmm. our company it's not nothing different like that's what we want to do is um help them in whatever capacity it is, it happens that software is what we do to help them. But like our ultimate goal is to help them save more lives and be more effective. So, so that's yeah. kind of and, and, just and the thing that reminds me. No, I mean, it's, that's awesome. I mean, you know, the, the mantra or the mission statement for along the keel was, you know, teaching people how to love the ocean. Right. And, mm-hmm. and my take on it was more from the capitalist side of things where like, it's companies like Watchtower that allow people to go and enjoy the beach so that they can mm-hmm. then enjoy the water knowing that they're safe. Like, have you been, I've been stuck in a rip current. I didn't get to, ha- I didn't, I didn't have to get rescued that time, but you know, you swing, you swim parallel to the beach and you kind of get back yep. ashore and you're like, wow, that was kind of scary. Like, let's yeah. not do that again, you know? And, yeah. you know, reverse roles, like having been a first responder to boat fires and people that are in the water that need help, and, you know, kind of seeing the look on their face when you, when you show up, you're like, huh. Mm-hmm. And, and, and most people have no idea what's going on at the fire station or on the water at the yep. Coast Guard station. They just think, oh, those guys just sit there all day. When in reality, we, we know they're answering calls left and right. So, yep. you know, what you guys are doing is, is incredibly important. And I think really bringing the first responders to, you know, the 21st century and into 2022. Um, but for you as a person, what do you think has been the biggest takeaway in creating Watchtower? Like what's the biggest growth point that you found to say, man, mm. if Watchtower were to disappear tomorrow and you had to go do something else and you were like, what, what did I take away? It's a good question. I should think about that more. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like the thing that comes back to me quite often is just, 
how I've always been a person that like looks at something and I'm like, man, how could that be better? Like it's, this isn't good. Like, let's just, let's change this or fix it. Like, heck, I went to a baseball game and I'm like, man, I hate the fact that people have to like squeeze up against the chair to like, let you walk past. I'm like, man, why don't they just make a chair that, you know, has a lower profile to let people walk past smoother. Like, that's just the way I think I've always been that way. Mm -hmm. And I think as I've become more and more, I'll never say I'm an expert in first response, but I feel like I'm becoming an expert in their operations and like how they work. And I think the one thing I've just realized is like, they're so good in the moment of like responding. They know all the details. They, you know, they'll respond to like the fact that they can do the things they do and there's not more death and injury in the responders as there could be shows how well they train, but behind the scenes, the amount of like improvements they could make and the way they use software and the way they operate and all that stuff that I come Mm -hmm. from, that's the thing I look at and I'm like, man, if watch hours to disappear, like those, those problems are great problems to try to solve. Maybe they're really hard to ever grow a massive business because of just the, like you said, the slowness of them adopting new stuff, but the impact and the opportunity to actually like create change in people's lives is so dramatic. There's so much of it in first response. Like there's so many opportunities to really have an impact. And like, I think it's an under appreciated place for software engineers and business people to look at as a place to improve. And Mm -hmm. the people that are there now are phenomenal, but they're also overworked and there's, they don't have the time to create or the skill set to like really think creatively about those solutions where you have huge companies like Google hiring every top end talent to solve problems that one could argue maybe aren't as big, like conversion rate on a specific little product, like great, awesome, increased revenue. And then you look at these agencies that, do probably some of the most important work in the world and they they don't have access to those resources or that talent and right those are the people that probably should have it because in the end it's going to have a huge impact like that's a life that gets saved or it's a family that doesn't lose a kid on the beach or like you know it's all these different like i think that's probably something that stuck with me is the amount of improvement that can happen behind the scenes there and also i think the the sheer volume that they do from a life-saving perspective and just from a, you know, service perspective, like we have almost a million calls for service now in our database. Wow. And that comes from 40, 35, 40 agencies over a couple years. Mm-hmm. So like you start to realize the sheer volume that they do. And that's not including some of the biggest agencies in the world that we're still working on trying to onboard. And like, it just starts to really give you a feeling of like all the stuff they do and like how much improvement yeah. can go on there because of like the sheer number and volume. So that's probably the things that right. stick out to me the most so far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you guys truly are working with our, you know, our nation's heroes, first responders, unsung heroes. Um, so really appreciate you being able to come on today and, you know, yeah. let us, let us know the behind the scenes of what actually yeah. goes on. Um, and just a, you know, a wicked cool company that you guys have here and, you know, props to you guys for taking on this, this incredible task. So where can people learn more about Watchtower? How can they get in touch? If you're an agency that's listening to this, um, where, where can you go? 
Yeah, so yourwatchtower.com, Y-O-U-R, watchtower.com. So you're going to find basically everything about our platform there. Um, we also have an Instagram that's pretty fun. We highlight responders and have some cool content there. Um, if you're a person that enjoys the beach, um, safebeachday.com, pretty easy. That's a great website um, that we've launched that has real-time information about some of the beaches across the country. It's not all of the beaches that use Watchtower, but it's the ones that we have launched. We work closely with them to like launch it and provide data. We want to make sure that data is real-time and accurate and all that. But that's a great place to, uh, if you're a, a beachgoer, to get some cool information. And and yeah, you could you know, reach out to us and say hi and give us your feedback. Love to hear it. Um, it's, uh, it's awesome to be on this. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. Anytime Trevor. Well, Hey, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon and, uh, thanks again. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Along the Keel. If you'd like to learn more about this brand or business, please use the links below and be sure to give them a like, share, and a follow on social to stay up to date with what they're doing in the future. If you'd like to learn more about the show and want to support what we're doing over here at Along the Keel, then head on over to our website and sign up for our newsletter and give us a like, share, and follow on social. We're always doing our best to keep you connected with the coast and deliver the best stories about those who are working hard and doing what they love. Captain Zach signing off. Until next time, get out there and earn your summer.